you can turn in your scriptures this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we'll be there in a moment. We've been discussing the last several weeks the parables that Jesus taught as he first started his ministry, letting people know something about the church and living down here as a Christian before the church was even founded. He was explaining what it would be like to be a Christian living on this earth and the things that we'd have to deal with. And he did it in parables. So some would understand and some wouldn't. He started his ministry right after his baptism. He's about 30 years old. He was a Jew. He was raised in a place where Jews lived. Most of the population was Jewish. The next thing after he was baptized, Satan, the Holy Spirit led him in the wilderness where Satan tempted him with everything in the world. And he showed Satan that he was stronger than Satan's temptation was. So that established himself with the devil. His first messages in Matthew chapter 4 were repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This chance to live here on this earth in what he called the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven where we have an opportunity as a Christian to make God the Lord of our life and to be obedient to what he way he wants us to live. Then he taught through parables. The ones we have dealt with has been the wheat and the tares where he told us in that parable that Satan would put evil people in the church after he was gone. And so we could look for that. And not to be negligent in the way we attempted to live for Jesus. It said in Revelation, the people's works followed them. So you see, what you and I do for God, for Christ, through the influence of the Holy Spirit, follows us in the spirit world. The angels and Jesus and God know what we've done. And it's a big deal with them, what we've done. It says, by their works ye shall know them. In another place, 1 John, it says, by our love we shall shall be known. So you see, it's our love that Jesus gave to us so that we could love each other enough to have works. And that's the way we're known. Is by our love and by the things we do for other people. 
The next was the laborers in the vineyard. You remember that. Where Jesus told us that those that came late to Jesus got the same things as those that came early. Except for the rewards that come from their good works. Then we talked very early about the parable of the talents. And we learned in that if you don't use what God gave you to work with for Him, He'll take it away from you. You either use it or lose it. Is <laughs> a modern day phrase for some of the muscles and all the tissue we have. But that's it for doing with the spiritual things too. You either do what God gave you the ability to do and made a way for you to do it or He'll take it away from you. Now something I want to remind you of that God reminded me when I got to that place. Some of the chastisement that we get listed in chapter 12 of, of uh, Hebrews, some of the chastisement we get for not doing what God wants us to do is simply this, that he gets away from us and leaves us alone. That's the worst thing he can do. Because see, as long as he's, he's hurting you, he's, he's got an idea that if he hurts you and knows how to hurt you, that you'll turn to him and, and be steadfast in your beliefs and in your, in your service to him. But sometimes when you begin to get low, one of the ways that he punishes us is by simply easing out away from us and letting us alone. And that's the worst. Because when we're by ourselves, we can't do anything spiritually. Not anything. He's got to be there and feed us in order for us to do those things. In those times, sometimes when he pulls back, he quits working on us to keep us from being distracted by the world. He lets us get too interested in things on this earth. And we get distracted by all kind of things we do, all kind of things we want, all kind of things we enjoy, and we kind of leave him out of the, out of the situation. And he doesn't care for that at all. We looked at the Samaritan, the good Samaritan we call it. When the lawyer asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? I'm supposed to love God with everything I've got and love my neighbor as myself, but who's my neighbor? And we found out that Jesus said, the neighbor, our neighbor, the ones we're supposed to minister to is everybody. Everybody. There's nobody that you can call. We learned from the rich man and Lazarus about hell. And the thing that, the alternative to following Christ, and the thing that keeps coming back to my mind is that that man that was in hell, the rich fool, was in hell. And he asked if Lazarus, the poor man, the beggar, could just go dip his finger in some water 
and come and touch his tongue with it because he says, I'm in torment. I'm going to tell you, when the greatest thing you ask for is a wet finger on your tongue, you're in pretty bad shape, folks. And they say that 70% of the people now in the United States don't even believe in hell. 70%. One of the last ones we looked at was a rich fool, the two-bagger, if you remember. He told us in that, that as we live in this kingdom of heaven, that we keep two bags to fill up. One for ourselves and one for anybody else that might need it. The needy and the weak. So he told us in our bank accounts, if you will, they kept them in a bag back then, tied in a string around their neck. But in the bags that you live out of now, bank account or whatever, you keep enough in there to where anytime anybody comes along that's in need or that are weak, that you're able to help them without digging into your light bill. So many folks now live so close up under every penny they make, they don't have anything left for nothing. And he said, no matter how little you make, you can put something back in case I call on you to help somebody that can't help themselves. So those are the things that he's instructed us about how we all live here in this world as a Christian. There are three more parables this morning that are closely resemble each other, but before we go there, they're short, before we go there, I'd like for you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5. See, Paul was having problems with the people in the church at Corinth because they had got all kind of divisions and one of their divisions was that they were bragging about who they got saved by. Some of them were saying, well, I follow Apollos. He's the best preacher, I think. Others said, Paul, I think, is a better preacher than Apollos is. And you know, folks nowadays still get in arguments about who's the best preacher. And Paul deals with that issue right here. As we are in a church, we're, for, we're forming, still forming by adding to this, this international, this global church of born-again people. In chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, and let's say verse 4, For while one saith, Paul says, I am Paul, I am of Paul, and another says, I am of Apollos. Are you not carnal? Are you not living in the flesh? That's not a spiritual attitude. Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? But God gave the increase, excuse me, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. You know, we studied at one point, whatever you've got, there's no use in you trying to brag about it. Because what you got, you received, and God made you receive it, so you didn't even get to have credit for that. God saw to it that you got what spiritual knowledge you have today. So he says, they're simply ministers 
who you learned from, but God was the one that caused you to know it. Verse 6, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. God's the one that made it happen, Paul says. So then neither is he that planteth anything. Now he's talking about us. So don't go patting yourself on the back because you shared Christ with somebody. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. God is the one to be praised because without him couldn't none of us do anything like that. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Their works follow them. We'll have rewards based on what we've done here as a Christian that furthered God's kingdom. So these next parables are about sowing the word of God, spreading the word of God, and how we're going to do it, and what God says are the rules concerning that. While you're turning to Matthew chapter 13, I'd like to tell you about something that happened to me. Maybe it's those mind pictures, but maybe the same thing could happen to you. When I was a kid, I was taught about a fellow, John Chapman, whose name was Johnny Appleseed. You ever heard the story about Johnny Appleseed? Did y'all hear that as a kid? Yeah, you know about it. Johnny Appleseed walked barefooted everywhere he went back in the late 1700s and early, 19, early 1800s. He died in 1845. But he traveled the northeast barefooted with a cooking pot on his head most of the time because he carried that pot with him to cook what he was going to eat. And they said a lot of the times rather than have to carry it, he just put it on his head. So he walked around the country with a sack of apple seeds planting apple trees. Now the story as the story goes, I mean, you know, anybody like that, that would be weird to start with and it was doing nothing but planting apple trees, all the way up into Quebec, Canada, he planted apple trees. All in our northeast, Pennsylvania, and all, and all the way into Canada. And the point that was made, that made such a point to me as a little, little young, he never came back to see which ones came up and which ones didn't. And as I was sitting in Sunday school, and they was telling us about spreading the word, they made the, the, the comment that you may never know what you say and what it will wind up to be, whether it's an apple tree or a dead seed. But they say he never went back to look. He just planted apple trees, and by faith, they grew up. It said his favorite book was the Bible, and he carried one little one in his pocket. So I'm sure, quite sure he was a Christian. But they made that application to us kids as sowing the seed like Johnny Appleseed planted apple trees. And we didn't have to go back and see. We weren't responsible for seeing whether or not the tree came up or not, or the person got saved or not. All we had to do was put in our two cents. 
we planted, somebody else watered, or else somebody else planted, and we watered. And what he's saying here is all the same. What you're doing is all the same because we're not responsible for who takes it and who doesn't. But we are responsible for sharing it. And especially when God picks somebody and moves us to say something to them. In Matthew chapter 13, in verse 33, look at what he says. Another parable spake he unto them, Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. Now y'all surely have done this. You women folks especially, and I imagine most of you men have had occasion to do it too. I have. It just amazes me how you can take some flour that's not self-rising, measure out what you're going to do in your bowl, and take one little spoonful of baking soda or baking powder and dump in there, and you stir it around a little bit with your spoon or your sifter or whatever, and it, when it is subjected to moisture and heat, the whole thing rises. Every little bit of it does. How does it do that? There's no way you can have touched every particle of that flour in that bowl with, with that leaven, with, with the baking powder. But it all, it, it, somehow or another, it gets in there and works. Now what he's trying to say, another parable spake he unto them, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven. The kingdom of heaven, where we're living, when you say a word, you don't know where it goes. You don't even know how it goes. It goes everywhere and touches everybody. And you'd be surprised to find that it's coming back around. You just say, I don't, I don't, I don't see how it could have gone that far. All these things spake Jesus under the multitude in parables. And without a parable spake he not unto them. He wasn't talking to them like I'm talking to you, straightforward. He was telling them little stories. And they were supposed to get the point of the story to learn what the kingdom of heaven was going to be like. That it might be fulfilled. Why was he doing it? Because it said in the Bible that he was going to have to do that like that that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. Jesus, like I said last week, was so interesting. He was telling people on the street things that they had never heard one iota about. He was a very interesting speaker. And people wanted to hear him, and they believed him. Turn over to Mark chapter 4. There are two more there. Leaven. So many times in the word is used for the word and it spreads itself. Some kind of way it does that all on its own. And in Mark chapter 4, In verse 26, 
And he said, so is the kingdom of God. As if a man should cast seed in the ground. The kingdom of God, like the kingdom of heaven, is when we share our salvation with other people. He said it's like seed. And if you know anything about seed, and most of those people did, because everybody planted something, they understood the example. As if a man would cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day. In other words, he put the seed in the ground. Come time to go to bed, he goes to bed. Next morning he gets up and he does that every day. He gets up and he goes to bed and he gets up and goes to bed. And the seed should spring and grow up and he knoweth not how. Now see, his mama didn't do like my mama did with me and Mac. She took a butter bean and put it in a little short drinking glass, water glass, and put some dirt in there. She took her finger and ran down the side of the glass and made a little hole in it and put that butter bean in there. And then she patted the dirt around it. And you could look at the glass sitting in the kitchen, the, the, the window of the kitchen sink where the sun could come through and hit it. And you could see that butter bean right up against that glass inside with the dirt. And she'd put a little water in there every day. And first thing you know, little roots started crawling out of that bean. And the bean just busted right in the middle. And before long, the whole glass of dirt was covered in roots. That was a way, after we moved to town, that she could show us how seeds work and how things, when we put it in the ground and it's got some moisture and it's got sunlight, some warmth, it germinates and produces a plant. And then it produces many seeds on that plant. But here's a guy. He puts a seed in the ground. He goes to bed and gets up every day. And one day he goes out and there's a plant root sticking out of the ground. And it said in those days, because we know a lot more about it now, but it said in those days, he didn't know how it did that. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn or kernel. Now that when they talk about planting corn and eating corn, Jesus eating corn, it wasn't maize, it wasn't corn like we have here because that was indigenous to the United States. They called a kernel of wheat a corn of wheat. So it was a different way they used the term. So he wasn't picking corn on Sunday, on the Sabbath day. He was picking wheat. But they called the kernels of wheat corns. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of it herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth immediately, he putteth in the sickle because the harvest is come. I think probably the next couple of, of parables are going to be about this sickle. In other words, what he's saying, you know what a sickle is. You've seen it in some of your old Western movies where they got a long crooked pole and two handles on it and a long blade. And they take it and they cut more grass with it, more wheat with it mow grain with it. It's called a sickle. 
Well, that sickle is used in so many of these parables of Jesus to tell what Jesus does at the end of the age when the harvest is complete, everybody is saved, they're supposed to be saved, and then he appears on the scene, and that figuratively speaking, he uses a sickle to separate us from those that are not saved. And we'll look at that. But that's just a forerunner to that. It's an earth law that when you put seed in the ground and it's got dirt and it's got moisture and it's got warmth, it's going to germinate and grow. It just happens. I don't think God has to stop every time a million billion seeds and work with each seed it's just like the law of gravity. He doesn't have to stop and make something that I turn loose of drop because it does it automatically because it's a law of the land. And there's another law in this land that God created that when you put seeds in dirt and get them warm and wet, they're going to grow. And it just happens. When you have a nighttime mean temperature, that's the way these agriculture people explain it now. If you're going to plant in winter grass, you got to have some nights that stay, average nights that stay above 55 degrees. And you know what's the neat thing about all this? All this happens without this guy that's getting up and going to bed. That thing doesn't need any supervision at all. It does everything it's going to do without him even looking at it. Now look at verse 30. And he said, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it's sown in the earth, is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up, and becometh greater than all herbs, and shooteth out great branches, so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. And with many such parables spake he the word unto them, as they were able to hear it. But without a parable spake he not unto them. And when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. See, it was a common thing for the disciples not to understand what he was preaching either. But they didn't want to be embarrassed by saying, "That's even his right-hand men don't understand it. How in the world are we supposed to? But the point is, and Jesus made this point, that the ones that he gave ears heard it, and they, they understood it. Well, some of them didn't. But, the, but, but the, the, the disciples at that time were not born-again believers. None of them were. And so they had to ask him when they got together, what do you mean when all you said out there a while ago? And he would explain it to them so they could explain it to others. So they interpreted, if you will, his parables. But what he's saying in that one is that little word that is sown in the kingdom of heaven will grow so big into such a big thing that the birds can rest on the limbs of it or get people and things can get under the shade of it. It's that big. Now, if you think about it a minute, 
Somebody one day told Billy Graham about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Billy believed. He was called to preach and he believed that. He was also gifted to lead people to Christ. He had the gift of evangelism, the spiritual gift of evangelism. And when he spoke, people moved. I have seen myself in little country churches after another. A preacher could stand and speak to people that were lost Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and they'd never get up. And an evangelist can walk in and speak one sermon, and people will get in the aisles and come to him. Why do they do that? Because God gave him a gift and he says, my word won't come back void. I'm giving you this gift because when you speak to people, they're going to accept Christ. And I have seen on my TV coliseums full of thousands of people coming to hear Billy Graham walking down those aisles to accept Jesus when one person said one word one time to Billy Graham. You see what it turned into? You don't know what word you say might turn into one day. You just don't. Jesus prayed for us when he was praying for the disciples in John chapter 17. He says, not only do I pray for them, I'm praying for those people who in future years will understand and believe the gospel of mine and become Christians. Then, I'm praying for them now. That's us. He prayed for us. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing what God's Word spread out a little bit will accomplish over a life or over time or whatever. And you don't know. You're like Johnny Appleseed. You don't get to go back and catch up with everybody you witnessed to to see if, they really, if it really took or not. So you got to do it on faith. Because God says, it won't come back empty. I won't let it come back empty if you'll just say it. Smallest word grows into the greatest things. I want to tell you about something that happened to me several years ago. This is one of my parables. I, I, I tell it ever so often. A fellow told me that a fellow was down in South Alabama and he met a young man. And the young man was looking and waiting for a kidney. His kidneys had gone bad. He was needing a kidney transplant. And the people in this group of people that were down there, for whatever reason, he didn't take, they were praying for him. And I prayed. I didn't pray for him. The man said he prayed for him. And I never saw him again. I've never seen him to this day, just that one day. And the man's daughter, he said, was in Ogden, Utah, 20-something years later. And a guy came up to her and said, are you so-and-so's daughter in Alabama? He said, yeah. He said, well, I used to live in Alabama. I'm living in Kansas now. But he said, we're out here visiting at this, this 
deal in Ogden. And he said, I want you to meet my family. He said, my wife and three children. And said, there was a fellow in Alabama that I saw one day that was acting like Jesus was just his friend. Wasn't no big deal. He didn't make no big preaching deal out of it or nothing. He just lived like he was his friend. And he said, that so impressed me, I became a Christian. And now I'm married, and my wife became a Christian, and now my three children have all been baptized. And the guy that was sharing the story with me said, I never had any idea of what I was doing. I didn't go down there to do anything like that. It just happened. And so what I'm telling you, folks, those things happen. They do. And they'll work when you're not watching it. You don't have to supervise what happens to your word after you say it. And some of the smallest things grow into the biggest things. You don't know what's going to happen to God's word when you spread it to somebody in any kind of a way. All you got to do is just tell them about Jesus. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell us now. That's the way it's going to happen. All you've got to do is get up enough nerve to say something. And we'll take care of the rest. So I'll ask this question. Is Jesus living with you? Is you treating him like his next door neighbor or somebody so special you don't get to see him but once every year or something? How many folks put on Jesus on Sunday and the rest of the week they don't even know where he lives. Now, let me ask you this. If you're living with Jesus, are you comfortable with it? Or are you bothered? I ran into a fellow the other day. We buried him. It was bothered by the sins he had. He didn't know. Nobody had ever told him that when you ask forgiveness, God not only forgives it, he forgets it. And he said, I don't want to go to hell. I said, you're not going to hell. But look at all the things I did. I said, but don't you understand, Jesus came so you could go to heaven regardless of what you did. And God, if you tap him on the shoulder and said, what about those things this boy did? He'll say, I don't know what you're talking about. He don't remember, and you don't need to either. Jesus took care of that. We as Christians ought to understand this act of forgiveness more strongly than anybody in the world because people, we are forgiven. Amen. And that's what this business of being a Christian is all about. Not only for you, but for other people too. Are you comfortable or does your heart condemn you because of what you've done? Quit thinking about it. We don't have the power to forget it like God does. And it, it'll get brought up again. Things I've done, I know every so often things will happen and it'll remind me of something I've done that I'm ashamed to death of. But I don't let it bother me today. i got other things i got to do for God. So I'm going to say this. If you're thinking about bad things you've done, if thinking of Jesus makes you think about bad things you've done, get over it. Get over it. You cannot let things in the past keep you from doing today what God wants you to do today. And it will. It'll compromise your very business today. And if you run up across anybody that you know, they know you have offended some kind of way in word or deed, apologize to them. 
because it might be that very one that God wants you next week to share Christ with. Live your life in such a way you can walk down the street and speak to everybody and tell Jesus. Tell everybody about Jesus. So I say, get over it. Jesus knew who you were when he came into your heart. He knows more than you do. When he chose to come in and chose us to be a Christian. It's like I said before. I think these these parables right here speak in one word. Little things become big. Little things become big without you having to stand there and watch them. And some of them just get so big you couldn't believe it. Off of one little word. One little word. I think about Jerry Melvin. He's a boy here in Barfield. He worked for me over at the barn. And I witnessed to that boy three years. I knew he wasn't saved, but his mother and dad were big, big churchgoers, big churchgoers. And he left to learn to ride bulls because I wouldn't teach him to ride bulls. I taught him to ride bucking horses, but I wouldn't teach him to ride bulls. He was the sweetest thing you ever seen in your life. Best little kid. After three years, he came back, went to work for me again. And when he came back, he said, by the way, Mr. Joe, I want to tell you, I'm born again now. I'm saved. I said, praise God for you. He said, it happened at Mr. Elton Keith's supper table down here. I didn't feel a tinge of jealousy at all. I mean, I'd witnessed to him for three years, and it didn't work. But one night with Mr. Elton Keith, and it did, praise God. He worked for me two the weeks or three weeks. I can't remember. But on a Friday night, he said, Mr. Joe, I need off. Friday afternoon. I said, okay, what you going to do? He said, I got to go to Ohatchee and ride a bull. I said, Jerry, why don't you quit them things? He said, well, I found out I can't make money riding horses. Now I found out I can't make money riding bulls. But I tell you what, those are absolutely the best people I've ever been around in my whole life, and I just like to have an excuse to be around. I said, well, okay. His wife called me at 12.15 that night and said, Mr. Joe, Jerry got bucked off and stepped, the bull stepped in the middle of his chest and he died right there in the, in the arena. So you see, after all those three years of trying to, trying to work with him, another fellow walked in and saved him and three weeks later, he left here. You remember the parable about the rich fool? And he was, God told him, don't you know your life will be required of you tonight? You can't wait till tomorrow. You can't do it next week or when you feel better or when beer don't taste so good or when this don't work or that don't work or whatever. You better do it now. Jesus will take care of the rest of it. kingdom of heaven it's a pretty wonderful place let's pray Father I thank you for what you're teaching us about how we ought to live and you're teaching us in such a way that a lot of people can't understand it so Lord we thank you like the disciples for being special enough 
that you give us an ear to hear and eyes to see, spiritual ears and spiritual eyes, that we can understand the motives behind what you're saying and the things we need to learn out of each story. Teach us, Lord, that we might understand how to live with you here on this earth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.